Turn with me to John chapter 20. You'd think that as I was preaching through almost the end of John chapter 20 last week, that I would have read the last two verses. Because it was a sermon on belief, and the last two verses are the text that I've referred to over and over and over again as we've been preaching through John on belief. But I didn't read them last week, and I don't know why. So we get to read them this week. Maybe that's why, so that we get to read them this week. Regardless, we'll be reading starting in John 20, verse 30, and we'll read through verse 14 of chapter 21. And those last... Excuse me, those last two verses in chapter 20 really do lead right into this last chapter. So we've, we've preached through most of the book of John. And as we arrive in the final chapter, he gives his, he gives his reason why he's written this book. And like I said, I've, I've made reference to it throughout our time going through the book of John. And what he says is, he gives his summary of why he wrote the gospel, the book of John, the the gospel of John, this, this book. Why did John go ahead and write this? And he says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's what he writes as he begins to conclude the book. And then he tells one last story of Jesus appearing to his disciples, some of the final words that he speaks to them, and some final signs to prove who he is. So this all takes place after Jesus has done three years of ministry. He has been... Arrested, he has been crucified, he has been buried, and he has been raised up to life again. And he has begun to show himself to his disciples, to his apostles. And so he's told just a couple of those stories of when Jesus appears to his disciples after being raised from the dead. And this is the last one that he tells. Last week we saw one of the 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 appearance, the second appearance in a closed, locked room to the apostles where Thomas was present for the first time, who we call doubting Thomas, and what I said last week is more like disbelieving Thomas, refusing to believe Thomas. might be a better name for him. But we saw Thomas, and Thomas believed only because Jesus was physically present. And we learned that in some ways we still see Christ today, though we can't see him like Thomas sees him. Thomas sees him 
up close and personal in the flesh, able to put his fingers into the nail holes and his hand into the side of Jesus. We don't have that, but we have something better. We have him having sent his spirit. But we still do get to see Jesus, and this story that we're going to read this morning is the appearing of Jesus to the apostles in a way that's more like it happens with us today. It's similar to how it happens to us. He shows his power and his presence in a way that is obvious to his disciples, to his followers, but he's not physically with them. He shows his way, in a, he shows his power, he demonstrates his, his presence, but it's, his presence is, is not with his physical earthly body right there, okay? Now Jesus' physical body is, is present, but the disciples don't know that it's him. And so that's what makes this story a little bit unique, because they're way out on a fishing boat, in the water, and it's just barely starting to turn light. So when there's some guy standing on the beach, they can't really see who it is. So all of this interaction at the beginning of the chapter takes place with the apostles not being able to see and recognize who they're talking to. But Christ today still demonstrates his power and his presence to us if we have eyes to see it. Now let's Stand as we read God's word from John chapter 20 and 21, starting in verse 30 of chapter 20. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself or showed himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two, other, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Now who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? The author of John writes this way. He's talking about himself. Okay, he's talking about himself in a weird way to not draw attention to himself. So, let's keep going. 
The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land... They saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Peter... Peter and many of the other apostles are fishing. How many of you have ever gone fishing before? Some of you, about half of you, maybe a little bit more. If you've ever gone fishing, you know that fishing is a messy business and kind of a stinky business, isn't it? If you catch anything, at least. The way they were fishing with nets, throwing nets into the water... It was a messy, stinking business whether they caught something or not, right? As evidenced by the fact that it says Peter was stripped for work. Think when you're working real hard. It stinks even if you're the only one there and there's nothing else stinky about it. This is hard work. It's very, very hard work. It's not glamorous work. It's not special work. It's, it's not work that anybody looks upon with some sort of fond, you know, ah, yes, the grandness of fishing, you know. No, fishing is, is just fishing. And the only time when we try to make it grand is when you watch, like, uh, what is that, the great, greatest catch or... Deadliest catch, yes. Yeah, you know, you try to make it into some glamorous thing by making it killer. That's the only way you're going to do it. But they weren't out on the deadliest catch. They were just fishing. You know what I mean? It's pretty normal, boring kind of stuff. But that's how they were not just passing the time, but actually earning their living when Jesus came and called them originally. The disciples were fishermen. And Jesus has said to them in the past that he will make them fishers of men. And in the last chapter, we saw that he had given them a command. He had told them that they were going to be the ones to carry on his work in the world. 
to be the preachers of the gospel, is what we saw that he meant by that. That as the Father had sent him to preach life and liberty to captives, so he was sending them out into the world with that same message, with condemnation for sin and with salvation and hope for those who would repent. But right now, when we get to chapter 21, the disciples are still waiting for that work to begin. It's only, he's, he's told them about the work, he's said that he is sending them, but they're still waiting And indeed, the the waiting goes on through the end of John into the book of Acts, where then when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, that's really the start of them doing this work. And so, while they're waiting, Peter goes fishing, along with several of the other disciples. And so they're making good use of the time by working. This is not the kind of fishing that you do when you don't, uh, when you just want to go out and relax. A lot of times that's the kind of fishing that we do, right? Eh, we got some time to kill. Let's go relax and drink a beer and, and throw a line out. And yeah, if you catch something, great. If you don't, so what? No, they're trying to earn some money, some, some food. This is, this is them making good use of their time. And the first thing I want you to recognize today is that work is good. Work is good. And you need to work hard. You need to work hard. These men are the apostles of Jesus Christ and they go out fishing with a net. And they don't just go out from like six to seven and see whether there's anything biting. They go out and they spend all night in the boat working hard trying to catch fish. How many of you have ever pulled an all-nighter working on a paper maybe for for school or, you know, doing some work? And it was, how many of you have ever pulled an all-nighter not because you were lazy and refusing to work earlier, but simply because that's what the job required of you? Okay, some of you still pulled all-nighters. Most of the time, I've pulled many all-nighters. The vast majority of them were because I was refusing to work hard when I should have been working hard earlier, right? And so it was a consequence. I was miserable, and it was a consequence of my own sin of laziness and of refusing to work hard that then I ended up having to work hard all night. But occasionally there have been times in my life where that's just what the job required, to stay up all night and work hard, Some of you worked third shift. Some of you have, um, some of you have just been given work that's that overwhelming. That that's just how long it takes, and so, and so you work hard through the night. 
And working hard through the night is not fun, regardless of whether you're writing a paper or whether you're putting airplanes together, whether you're whatever you whatever it is that you're doing. Right? It's hard work. These men are willing to work hard. And it's it commends them to us, doesn't it? Isn't that a sweet thing to think of the apostles of Jesus Christ while they're waiting for their, for their really important spiritual work to begin to give themselves still to hard work? And not to anything that we can romanticize, not to anything that we can think of as this amazingly important work. There's nothing important about fishing, right? There's nothing, there's nothing special about it. It's just fishing. But they work hard at it. And it's beautiful. It's sweet. Many of us think that we are above that kind of work. We look down on those who work with their hands. We look down on those who... Maybe we, maybe we think, well, it's too bad that they can't work with their brains. Now, who was in that boat? Peter? John? Nathaniel? Several others of the apostles of Jesus Christ? And John wrote this book, one of the most beloved books in the Bible. For many, many believers, the book of John is their favorite book in the Bible. Was John able to work with his brain? You better believe he was able to. Was he able to write? Was he able to speak? Yeah. And was he above fishing? No. No, it's, it's honorable to work with your hands. Was Peter able to write? Oh, yeah. Peter was able to write. You go read First and Second Peter and tell me whether Peter was able to write. And you say, yeah, but Peter, you know, he wasn't quite to the intellectual heavyweight that Paul was as he even admits that Paul's stuff is hard to understand, right? And in, in some way, yeah, I mean, Peter's easier to understand than Paul, and Paul is maybe your, your, your favorite intellectual. But Paul worked with his hands, making tents. Sewing, you know, pushing a needle and thread through cloth. Working with your hands is good. It's honorable. Don't ever look down on yourself or the work that you've been given to do and think that it's below you. Don't ever look down on those who are doing work that is simple. Don't be proud. 
Because the moment that you're proud is the moment that you think that you have accomplished something. But as we're asked elsewhere in the Bible, what do you have that wasn't a gift to you in the first place? If you've been given a great intellect, did you make yourself smart? No, you didn't make yourself smart. You didn't make yourself. God made you. So if you're smart, give glory to God and don't be proud about it. And if you're strong and you're able to work hard with your hands, who gave you that body? God gave you that body. God made you strong. Don't you dare look down on those people who are weak and are forced to work with their minds. Pity them. For their weakness, sure. But don't you be proud as though you're somehow better. We see both of those things brought together. The the strength of these men is delightful, and it's a gift from God to them. That they're able to go out and work hard all night, throwing nets, dragging them in, throwing nets, dragging them in, and they go all the way through the night working hard, and you know what it produces for them? You, you, know, you just want me to be like, now work, work, and it'll produce great and amazing things. And I say, they worked, and it produced nothing. They worked all night long hard, and you know what they got for it? Zero fish. Now, how many of you enjoy working hard all night long and having nothing to show for it? That's miserable, isn't it? Can you imagine pulling an all-nighter to write a paper and at the end of the night you accidentally delete it and it's just gone? You're like, search through the history. Is there a backup? How does this happen today? Nothing to show for it. It's miserable, isn't it? Working hard, working hard, working hard, nothing to show for it. It's like going to work and you do two weeks of work and at the end your boss says, hey, you know, thanks for coming in. Uh, The the company's bankrupt. We're not going to pay you. Come again? I worked. I want, I want money. I want something to show for it. We don't recognize most of the time. You think, I mean, that, that example is crazy because it just doesn't happen very much, right? We've got labor protections and all kinds of things in place. There's not too many jobs left today where you can work hard for a long time and it may just not produce anything for you. Music is one of those areas. You could, you could pour your life 
and soul and blood, sweat and tears into it for six or eight years and at the end have nothing to show for it. I mean, let's be honest, right? It does happen. Especially the more competitive, the, the piano players and the violin, right? You know, it's like, there's not too many solo piano players. If that's what you're going for, you might be pouring years of your life into hard work. You know, at least you'll be skilled. I'm not saying, you know, but in terms of something to show for it, those guys got better at fishing by fishing, whether they caught anything or not. But generally, when you work, you want to see the fruit of your labor, don't you? And generally, you do see fruit from your labor. And so be encouraged, work hard, and God will bless you. He will bless you. But, He does it in His way and in His time. Okay? He does it in His way and in his time. Sometimes, work just looks like work with not a lot to show for it. Especially moms, I think, get caught in this, like, what is my work accomplishing? I get up, I feed the baby, I change the diaper, I make breakfast, I do the dishes, I do the laundry, I make lunch, I feed the baby, I change the diaper. Every time I change the diaper, I've got to change another diaper. Why bother? Every time I clean the dishes, I get them dirty again. What is this producing? Now, if you have eyes to see, you can see that it's producing something, Right? I mean, for example, if you don't change the diaper, among other things, you're going to be miserable, not to mention the baby being miserable. You're going to be miserable because they're just going to scream. And they're going to get diaper rash. And uh, Okay, so there is something that comes from doing this work, right? But... <clears throat> At the end of the day, you, you oftentimes you, you, you're left with, oh, what do I get out of all this? The satisfaction of a job well done. That's about all that you can think of on a like, day-to-day basis. But what are you accomplishing? Well, by God's grace, you're accomplishing way, way more than the dishes having been cleaned again. Right? You are raising up a godly seed in obedience to the Lord. And the fruit that comes from that is fruit that goes on generation after generation. That's a beautiful thing. That is a sweet and wonderful thing. And so God brings about fruit from our work, but he brings it about in his timing. And he brings about the fruit that he has seen fit to bring about. 
And so sometimes when you give yourself to hard work, you do it because you want fish and you want to go sell them and make some money. But God has other plans for what you're going to accomplish that night and what the fruit of that night is going to be. The apostles are out fishing, catching nothing. And we don't really know what they were thinking. We, we can put ourselves in their shoes, though, and think, it's pretty miserable. Not something I would enjoy doing. But they don't appear to have gotten angry, as you read the text. Some stranger on shore says, throw it on the other side. And we know they've been told this before. Because Jesus did it earlier when he was calling them. He said, throw your, fish, throw your net on the other side. And they go, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. What difference? <laughs> throw it on the other side of the boat? What is that, six feet over? Maybe they learned something when Jesus did that the first time. They caught a bunch, right? So even though they don't know it's Jesus, they, some guy on the shore is telling them to throw it on the other side. And so they're like, all right. So they throw it on the other side. They, what does that show you? They haven't gotten lazy either, have they? They're still working hard, even though there hasn't been anything to show for it all night long, all the way until the day is dawning. They haven't given up. They haven't gotten angry. They haven't gotten lazy. They just work. And they know that sometimes that's the way work is. Sometimes it's just hard. It doesn't seem to be producing what you thought it would. But you keep going. God often uses failure at our work to demonstrate his own power and provision. They were not failures because they had gone out and, and faithfully fished and worked hard all night and not caught anything. Okay, But that night of work was essentially a failure. Do you understand? And so I've had conversations with Men about churches and church planting, where you know it's you, you you run this line of trying to talk about okay the church didn't the church plant didn't survive and so what are you going to say it it failed in a sense right it was a failure but God accomplished through it what He intended and so it wasn't a failure in the ultimate sense of the word right. And you are not a failure. <laughs> you put your hand to the plow and worked hard. And God gave the fruit that he saw fit to give in the time that he saw fit to give it. And so sometimes the work comes to an end. And it, has, and it just doesn't produce what we went in expecting it to, hoping it would. And, and that's okay. When you work hard, that reflects well on you. 
That's obedience to God because he has made you to work. And when it doesn't produce what it normally does or what it does for other people or what you went in thinking that it would produce, okay, that you trust to God. That you trust to God. When it doesn't work out the way you thought it would, you trust God with that. And God will use that failure as he sees fit. He'll use it to bring about humility in you, and that'll be a good, helpful fruit that was worth putting in a night's labor that didn't produce anything else. So don't get angry about it. Trust God and smile and keep working. In this case, nothing all night long until some random guy on the beach from a football field away says, you haven't caught anything, have you? No. (laughs) No, we haven't. Well, throw it to the other side. All right. So they throw it, throw the net on the other side, And suddenly what? Boom! The net is full. And it's full of fish. And not just any fish. It's full of big fish. That's unexpected, isn't it? So unexpected, in fact, that John... Meat recognizes something about it. This, my friends, is somewhat miraculous. And I have been around the I've been around the block enough times to know that when miracles happen, God is working. In fact, I've seen this exact thing before. And it was Jesus. And so he turns to Peter and he says, It's the Lord. Now, do you recognize God being at work when he accomplishes great things through your work? And you say, well, I've never seen great things through my work. And I say, well, how about times when you're working and working and working and working and not getting anywhere and not getting anywhere and not getting anywhere and not getting anywhere, not seeing fruit, not seeing it produce, and then it does. Do you see God's hand in that? Do you see God's hand in that? Or do you see your own ability to push on through to the other side and take the glory for yourself? We say practice makes perfect, and 
musicians will correct you and say, not quite right. Uh, it, practicing correctly <laughs> makes perfect, right? <laughs> you, if you practice it the wrong way over and over and over again, it doesn't ever make perfect. You've got to practice it the right way, and then maybe you get to perfect. <clears throat> But let me ask you a question. These men are out fishing, and they fish all night long. And then at the end, they throw their net on the other side of the boat, and, uh, and they bring in a, a huge load of fish. Was it because they had been all, all night long fishing, and then th- their, their practice like finally paid off, that they brought in that big load of fish? No. <laughs> it was because Jesus was at work, Right? Because Jesus was at work, that's why they suddenly caught all those fish. And so, who gets the glory for that catch of fish? God gets the glory. They worked hard all night long. And they got nothing. But when Jesus said, now there's going to be fruit, then there was There was fruit. And so he gets the glory. He gets all of the glory. I was reading Calvin on this passage, and he has this wonderful quote. He says, If we were always prosperous... Whenever we put our hand to, to labor, to work, if it always, you know, you, you work and every time it produces exactly what you wanted it to produce. Always prosperous. Every time you put your hand to the labor. Scarcely any man would attribute to the blessing of God the success of his exertions. You, if every time you worked, it always accomplished just what you were hoping it would accomplish, right? then you would just think, yep, yeah, it's just up to me. If I work hard, then I get it. If I don't work hard, I don't get it. So I work hard, and therefore I get it. And he says, all would boast of their industry, of their, the fact that they work hard. Yep, I worked hard, and look where I got. And if you ever hear somebody saying that, beware. Because what's going to happen to that man is he's going to fall. Because God says, pride goes before the fall. And that man is being proud because it is not his industry, his hard working, that got him where he is. It's God who got him where he is. And he says, and they would kiss their hands. These hands made me what I am today. I went out into the field and I worked, and then I was rich. Now, don't get me wrong. Work is necessary. I I started out by saying hard work is good. You're never to be ashamed of it, right? And, And God has set up the world in such a way that if you don't work, you don't see fruit. 
And if you do work, you do see fruit. If you don't work, you don't get paid. If you do work, you do get paid. That's the way the world works. That's the way God made it. And that's beautiful. But Calvin is saying, there's always this, there's always this question of whether you're actually going to get what you want out of it. And why? It's so that you realize that it's God who set up the world that way, and so it's God who gets the glory and the credit for the fruit that comes when you put your hand to the plow and and begin to work. When you, this is Calvin again, when they sometimes, on the other hand, when they sometimes labor and torment themselves, and that's what working all night long is, tormenting yourself, without any advantage, no fish, if they happen afterwards to succeed better, you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice, and then one day all of a sudden it clicks, it's like, I don't know, I was practicing and it wasn't making any difference and then all of a sudden it just clicked. Then what? He says, you are constrained, you must acknowledge something out of the ordinary. (laughs) And what is that? You have to ascribe to the goodness of God the benefit that came. You've got to give the glory to God. When the out of the ordinary comes. And sometimes the out of the ordinary needs to be set set off from the ordinary through this, this contrast of all night long with no fish. And then, the out of the ordinary is really, really shocking. (laughs) And then, wonder of wonders, the disciples recognize it as Jesus. And so Peter, Peter just throws himself in the water. He's like, I'm going to be with Jesus. And the other disciples bring the boat in. Don't look down on Peter. It's like looking down on Mary. Remember Mary? Martha looks down on Mary because she goes and she sits at Jesus instead of working. Yeah, somebody's got to bring the boats in. But what a joy, what a glory that somebody can just throw themselves in the water and just go be with him. Don't you want that to be you? Not so you can get out of dragging the boat in, but so you can be with Jesus. Don't you love that? We want to be with Jesus. We want to experience his presence, his power. We want to give him the praise. We want to just throw ourselves in the water, and say, I'm going to be with him. John is the one who recognizes, though, 
What deep love John has for Jesus. Deep love Peter has, absolutely. It's, but it's less about the love with Peter and more about the exuberance, right? John demonstrates deeper love by the recognition coming fat first. You see that? And so don't, don't tie too closely together the exuberance and the love. John has deep, deep love. Peter has more exuberance. (laughs) What can we learn from them? Well, one thing is, you've got to tell each other when you recognize the Lord working. That's what John recognized. He saw the load of fish that they had just caught by throwing their nets on the other side, and he said, this is God. This is God at work. And so he says to Peter, this is God. It's Jesus. It's the Lord doing this. And if John hadn't done that, Peter wouldn't have gotten, been able to throw himself in the water and go see Jesus, would he? Don't just give the glory to God in your own mind. Be like, well, I guess God is the one who allowed me to accomplish that today. Praise him. Tell others about what he allowed you to accomplish today. Why? Well, because he's glorious and he is worthy of our praise. That's us praising him. But beyond that, because it helps me. When you tell me God did this, why is that helpful to me? Because then I can throw myself in the water. And you think, I'm not sure I want to see you throw yourself in the water. (laughs) Well, that's not up to you. That's my decision. If I want to throw myself in the water and celebrate like a crazy man, then I'll celebrate like a crazy man, like Peter. Don't hold that back from me. And don't hold that back from each other. Give glory to God when he does amazing things. Tell each other about it. And this is a simple, simple command that we're given over and over and over again in the Bible, right? All through the Psalms. I mean, you can't read the Psalms without the command to, to testify to the works of God, smacking you in the face over and over and over again. And so John obeys. He says, this is... Jesus, this miraculous, amazing thing that just happened. And by the way, did you notice the net didn't tear? As if it wasn't enough that he brought in this huge load of fish for them, you know, just like that at the end of a night where they had given up and thought, well, I guess we worked all night and didn't get any fish that night. The net didn't tear either. And if you, if you know anything about fishing with nets... When you've fished all night, your work has only begun because then you've got to go and you've got to repair all of your nets the rest of the day. No torn net, huge load of fish, and then what? And then Jesus 
gives them breakfast. (laughs) What a delightful, delightful thing. You ever get that unexpected kind of... I mean, you've got to think about this from the point of view of the disciples working hard in the water all night long and thinking that the next thing that they're going to do is drag their boat in and then mend their nets and then maybe go and find some food somewhere, you know. But no. <laughs> no net mending. And then hot breakfast on the beach right there, right then, with Jesus. That's sweet, isn't it? When you recognize the Lord working, everybody around you benefits by you saying, I see God at work. I see God at work. And the, and, and the watching world will say, I see a superstitious man. I see someone who believes in... I see someone who needs a crutch, a, a mental crutch to get through life. And you say, no, I see Jesus. That guy over there, 100 yards away in the twilight that I can't really see, I recognize his work. And I know who it is. It's God. And that's why I say this is sort of this this is more of what it's like for us than Thomas being in the room with him, right? You know, it's they got a lamp, presumably there's light in the room, and he can like see him and touch him and so forth. This is they're a hundred yards away, they can sort of see there's a guy over there in the in, as the sun is beginning to rise. It's it's kind of like us, you know, we we see through a da- glass darkly, is how it describes it. And so Jesus feeds them and takes care of them. And he feeds and takes care of us. Put your trust in him. And he will care for you. And he's tender. He does things like make breakfast on the beach for his apostles. And yeah, he's not physically present. He's not doing that anymore. But he is present. And he is working. And when you see his work, or when other people see his work, it's helpful to have it pointed out, isn't it? Let's pray.